you know, the, the, the marriage process and to be able to see people married 40, 45, 50 years and to see them happily married is such an invigorating part. Because the reality is, is that not everybody who's married 40, 45, 50 years are happily married. It's not a guarantee if you go the distance of a marathon that you will be happy at the end of that marathon. That you will be, in fact, content at the, in that marathon, uh, throughout the marathon. And, and in fact, Focus on the Family has done a study, and uh, James Dobson mentioned it a number of years ago. But he said three out of five marriages that, that go the distance say that there was little, if any, intimacy between them. Think about that. The, the, of those marriages that go the distance, we're not even talking about those who break it off, but those who go the distance, that there's literally not intimacy of heart and soul and mind and, and vision and direction. And what's the disconnect? The, the reality is that there's no guarantees in this world, and there's no guarantees in a relationship, and there's no guarantees in your marriage. And I can say this, though. 99% of the people that I have married, emphasis on 99% of the people that I have performed the ceremonies for, I would say that they went into it happily married. i leave that 1% out there because there was one marriage that prior to the marriage that the couple was getting cold feet. They were getting jitters. But I'd seen jitters in enough marriages before that this was more than just the jitters. I actually advised them, you sure you want to put this off? But they'd already put so much money into the wedding. They'd already had so many family members coming that they said, no, we're going to go through with it. And all I can say is a few weeks later, it was annulled. So I can say that most people enter into marriage very happy, very much in love, madly in love, pursuing love, pursuing the, the, the mate of the, that they've chosen for the rest of their life, but 100% of the divorces I've seen, came from marriages that were very promising in the beginning with lots of hope and lots of love and lots of devotion and lots of words of affirmation and validation and so forth. But 100% of them end with tremendous disillusionment and dissatisfaction. How do we get there? What are we building it on? You talk about relationships and you talk about that romantic, passionate love. Is scientist Elaine Walster of the National Science Foundation, was actually given grant money to study romantic love. Now think about that. That would be a fun project, all right? That would, you would think that that would be just an ideal project, a, a happy movie kind of project, uh, to study romantic love. How long did it last? What fueled it? And so forth. And I just want to point out one point that she brought out in her study, that romantic, that heart palpitation, that... Uh, that, that sweaty palm kind of love that kind of stirs us actually will last between 6 to 30 months. And then after that, what do you have? That romance that sweeps you off your feet, the one that carries you away, the, the one that you, you, can't, you can't go to sleep but before you think about them and you, you sit on the phone, no, you hang up, no, you hang up, kind of, kind of experiences. That lasts for 6 to 30 months, and then what? Kelly Ferguson uh, was a person in April 2003 who was madly in love, had that crazy kind of love going for her. And in that, in that moment, 
At 20 years of age, she was crazy in love with her boyfriend, but they had gone on a family cruise. And they got on this family cruise, and they'd gone down to Mexico, and they were on the legends of the sea. You can look this up online. It's all out there. And, of course, everything is online is, is truth. But anyway, this is, a, I think, a reputable article that I get this from. And, and, and this, 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 this romantic love just consumes her so much that she begins to get mad at mom and dad because she was forced to go on the cruise. And she wanted to go back and see her boyfriend. So she begins to connive a plan that she is going to get the boat back to port earlier. So she begins to write letters and put them in places on the ship. Two letters in particular said that she was going to blow up the boat. She did not sign them. She just put them out there that I'm going to kill all the people on the boat, blah, 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 blah. And the people took notice. And what happens then is 20, excuse excuse me, uh, yeah, 120 member task force from federal and state and military take over the ship and pull the ship to port, not the port she wanted to get off at, and begin to interview every single person, began to look for biological and chemical weapons on the boat, all because of a 20-year-old madly in love with a boy back home. And she ended up going to prison, ironically, and her mom and dad are jail, and her mom and dad did not bail her out. That she, Deborah, the mom, said she needs to learn her lesson. I would agree with that one. But what do you do? When you got this mad, passionate love over here, but then it fades. It loses its luster. You know, you wake up one morning and what was once there isn't there anymore. Call it intimacy drift. Where you were once very intimate, very engaging, very emotionally engaging, very articulate with one another, very much a validating relationship, and all of a sudden it just slips away. Intimacy drift. How does that happen? How does it get to the point when you just can't live with that person any longer? You just can't handle it. You can't handle them. And you're ready to buckle and run. I think it's so important that we understand that marriage is to be maintained. Love is to be maintained. It will not happen automatically. Take your Bibles. Be finding the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. I know you were there last week as Lori shared with you. Uh, and I don't have a, a, a cool balloon or anything like that to pop or a, anything. She just blows me away in those kind of creative elements. But uh, here you just get me, all right? But as, as she shared last week about, about her conversation abilities with me or lack thereof and how we communicate, uh, I come to you this week to share with you from the same passage, all right? First Peter chapter 3 is where she was last week. She shared with you from verse 1 to verse 6. I'm going to share, as it is addressed to the wives, okay? I'm going to share with you from just verse 7. Because I think it's interesting. I just got to point this out, and you draw your own conclusions, that when Peter is writing to the wives, it takes six verses. All right? I'm just saying. It's an observation. Six verses to get his point across. For the man... One verse. All right? Now, there's all manner of opinion on this. All right? One is the obvious chuckle of the men. <laughs> it takes them that much. They've got that much work to do. There's that much maintenance that it takes to, to keep that, to 
keep her happy and, 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 and going in the marriage. For man, it just takes one verse. And I don't see it that way. I have to kind of agree with the women on this one. It's because our attention span is so short. You know, you go to the store to get three things, milk, eggs, and bread. That's all Lori says to me. And I go to the store, and I remember one of the three. And I'm trying to, what is it? And I end up spending 30, 40 more dollars filling up the basket, trying to hit it, rather than call home, swallow my pride, and say, now what were the other two things? And so I think Peter, knowing men, dealing with men, he just had to sum it up. Guys, bullet point one, bullet point two, bullet point three, and we're done, all right? But he gives us a lifetime worth of lessons in this one verse for us to look at. And to, to be challenged by. So look at First Peter chapter three, verse seven. He says, "Likewise, husbands," because in verse one he said, "Likewise, wives," speaking to the wives. He says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives." Now, before we read further, I want us to just take that phrase: "Live with your wives." Now, I titled the message is "Why I Can't Live with Lori." is whenever I don't do, what happens next? When I don't follow through with the rest of the verse. We might live under the same house, eat from the same table. We might sleep in the same bed. But are we living together? Are we intimately, emotionally, heart to heart with one another? That's a different story. Again, as, as, as Dobson points out, you can live a lifetime together. But most marriages don't live in an intimate relationship. Don't have intimate communication with one another. So I have, the question for all of us today is not where do you live? Not even who do you live with, but do you live with them? Do you with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your ambitions, do you live with them? All right? It goes on. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with, one, uh, <clears throat> with, with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's it. Guys, if we can get this one bullet point style verse down with not a lot of commentary in between the bullet points, if we can just zero in like men, get our bullet points and go out and live with our wives according to this standard and this quality of life, then I think we can live with our wives. Otherwise, we'll build barriers between us and our wives. Barriers that will hinder communication, hinder intimacy, hinder our future, that will just cause us to coexist. The very first barrier that we need to be aware of, guys, listen up, is when I fail to understand and appreciate her complexities. I said that in a very nice way, didn't I? And when I fail to understand and appreciate, emphasis on two words there, her complexities then I am not fully living with her, all right? I may be coexisting with her, cohabitating with her, but I am not living with her, with my heart, with my whole being. And I'll tell you this, I believe from my perception, there's no data out on this, this is purely my subjective perception, 
is that most men don't live with their wives in an understanding way. I will, I will go so far as to say 80% of the men don't live with their wives in an understanding way. I'll say there will be some that will, that will pay that extra. They're lazy. They're, they, they, it's too complex for them. They're too shallow. I don't know what it is. That, that, that they just don't go there. All right, life is too complex at the job. Life is too complex over here. So I, you know what? I'm looking for something easy over here. And so relationship, if you haven't figured this out yet, isn't easy. No relationship is easy. And then you marry one, that's not going to be easy. All right? It will not be easy. And we're going to have to save some energy and save some, some intentionality in ourselves throughout our days to be intentional about this. So maybe there's another 20% out there who, who understand and appreciate. And I will say maybe 10%. I don't know. Again, this is just my numbers. Actually understand and then can appreciate the complexity. Understanding is one thing. But then to go so far as to appreciate those complexities, I think is a very important thing. Notice again what he said. Underscore the word. He said, live with your wives in an under standing way. The Williams translation, a very good translation, puts it like this. Live with your wife in an intellectual consideration. Intellectual consideration. Literally, go into her mind. Now, ladies, I may say something today that may offend you, but I'm really not, okay? I'm just speaking from a man's perspective. But coming into your mind is quite complex, and understanding the consistencies and rhythm is very difficult. You dance to a different beat at times. But if I am going to do my job as a man, as a man of God, as Peter is raising up men of God, then I need to do the due diligence. And I need to understand, intellectually consider the deep recesses of who you are. You know, 50 years of marriage does not guarantee it. Distance doesn't guarantee it. Quantity, excuse me, quantity doesn't guarantee it. 50, 60 years of marriage doesn't guarantee it. Quality of your marriage, that will make it. Will I go so far as to understand her? Will I go so far as to appreciate her? Will I go so as far as to understand her personality? Her, will, I, will I appreciate her love language? Will I understand her family of heritage? Will I look and listen to her opinion? Will I consider her point of view something to be valued? As a different angle on a point of view. Or will I be the superior one and squelch it? See, I, will, I must. Giving intellectual consideration to your wife of your youth is unwrapping. Listen to this, unwrapping the full beauty of God's gift to you in your wife. Think about it like that. If we only understand her at the surface level, if we only understand her at the beauty level, if we don't, if we don't understand the complexities and appreciate them, we don't understand her at a heart level. Know our, know our wife at a heart level. Understand her at a heart level as if she's a gift from God. That every day we get to unwrap. That every day we get to dive into. Every day, it may change. But every day we get to understand her more fully and appreciate her greatly. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good 
and receives favor from the Lord. Just unpack that one in your own heart, in your own mind. See, if I could understand and see the height, the depth, the, the width, if I could see the dynamic nature, the multidimensional working of God inside of, of Lori, instead of seeing her as a confusing ball of emotions with a lot of switchbacks, then I could appreciate her a whole lot more in life. David Burns of the University of Pennsylvania said it like this, what most people really want is to be listened to, respected, understood. The moment people see that they're being understood, they become more motivated to understand your point of view. Think about it. How much time do you spend, how much emotion do you spend looking not into her eyes and her beauty, but looking into her soul? Guys, understanding, appreciating those complexities. Here's a couple of points, recommendations. I don't know what you want to call it, suggestions. To hopefully appreciating and understanding the complexities of the wife that God has given you if He has given you one. Listen with your heart, not just your ears. Listen with your heart, not just your ears. Over the last few years, I have seen in my office an increasing number of couples who share a common denominator. The man is active, articulate, energetic, usually successful in the work. But he is inactive, inarticulate, lethargic, withdrawn at home. In his relationship with his wife, he is passive. And his passivity drives her crazy. In the face of his retreat, she goes wild. When you think about it, men, we go to work, if, you, if that's your, where you're at in life, you go, you do, you're a part of, you're engaged in, you have energy, you have, you have uh, excitement. I want to challenge you, bring some of that home. Bring some of the energy, bring some of the encouragement, bring some of the engagement, bring some of the excitement that you spill out at work, bring it home and give it to your wife. Listen not only with your ears, but listen with your heart. And if you are energetically excited to hear and engage, I think it will make a difference. Number two, be present, totally present in the moment, all right? Now, I know we carry with us a lot of things home. But I just want to say, we have got to enter into a relationship. If we're going to understand and we're going to appreciate the complexities, we've got to understand that when we are with her, we've got to be all there. And they have an amazing radar system in them. They know when you're there and when you're not there. All right? Speaking just to the men here, all right? We're kind of clueless. Guys are. You can be in multiple places, ladies. In fact, you are many times, and you're able to still balance it all. Uh, but but we, we're one track, all right? And you know that. We're one track. And we many times will be physically there, maybe even give a nod every now and then, but we're not there. We're kind of out of there, all right? So be totally present there. But also, here's guys, if we're going to appreciate and understand the complexities of the wife that God has given to us as favor from Him, then I think we also need to do one other thing. is We need to read her as a mystery that's ever unfolding. 
readers of mystery that's ever unfolding. Whether it's biological changes or life changes or children changes or career changes, whatever changes are going on, let's embrace them and see them as a mystery. What's your favorite mystery out there? I'm a Jason Bourne fan. Maybe you're a maybe you're a James Bond fan. Now I don't encourage you to imagine your wife as Jason Bourne. All right, that's very unromantic. But if you could engage in a relationship with her, much like you engage in a relationship with a great mystery, then maybe you would understand and appreciate what you understand as God's favor to you ever-changing, ever-dynamic for you. Number two. So one is we, we've got we've to understand our wives and we've got to appreciate the complexities. Otherwise, we'll build up a barrier. But number two is that when we treat, when I treat Lori, my wife, when you treat your wife as a tool and not a trophy, that's a very dangerous posture to have. He tells us, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing Honor to the woman. Showing honor to the woman. I want you to think about what does that mean to show her honor as to the weaker vessel even. Does it mean that she is not strong? That she can't carry her load? I'll guarantee you there, I have not seen very many mothers out there that can't carry a load that's well beyond the load of a man. Again, maybe it's because of the simpleness of our minds. Maybe it's because uh, of something. We might be able to be physically brute strength stronger, but their ability to multitask and to do so much and to care for the family at the same time, if they have a career, it blows me away. But it doesn't mean that she's a tool to help do for you and to make for you and to serve you. She is a She's a, she's a treasure. She's a trophy. She's your trophy wife. And you should treat her in that very manner. I want to ask you, do you treat your wife as a clay pot or as a trophy? Think about it like this. I've got two, I've got two, two things from Africa up here. I've got a clay pot. Now this clay pot is a highly functional clay pot. I've seen it used, I've seen this very one used, and we got it from a village, and it was being used as to carry water for the family, to carry water for food, to carry water for bathing. It's very functional, it's very strong and durable. It's a lot heavier than this other vase that's up here. But there's a vast difference between these two. One is, is completely functional, it's, it's a tool, it gets things done. But that one right there, you can find a dime a dozen. They stack them up on the side of the road. You can be driving down the road, stop over, and and maybe for 50 cents you can buy that sucker. But is is it highly functional? Yes. Will it do jobs for you? Yes. But does the Bible tell us to treat our wives like a clay pot? To treat our wives like a tool in a tool chest? No, he says to treat your wife as a vessel of honor. I have another thing up here that we brought from Africa. As far as I know, there's only one like this in the world. 
We found it in a, in a special, we've been all over Africa, we've been to a lot of shops, and every time we go, we're always looking for something we've never seen before. But this little vase right here is something that we saw in a store after living there for four years, we said, we want that one. It was a specialty store in Zimbabwe. It too is handcrafted just like the clay pot. This one though has gold, African gold woven into the vase and the the ceramic element of it. I don't even know how to say it. It's got, it's got an African motif to it, but it, it, it's got value to it. We paid a lot more for this baby than we did for that. How does God want us to treat our wives? As a, as a tool to, to make our dinner, to make our bed, to fold our clothes, to, to tell her when she needs to do more work, to tell her when she needs to be more functional, to, to remind her that uh, she's got more things to do? Or is our primary role as a husband to put our wife where this thing sits in our home, high on the shelf away from any child, in a very prime location where everybody comes in, you'll see it if you come to our house. We have light shining on it. We protect it. How do you treat your wives, men? You treat your wife as a clay pot, a functioning element to bring you food, to bring you babies. You know what? You're not treating your wife the way God encouraged us to treat our wives. Again, if I can go to James Dobson and remind you, a great spokesman on the family for a number of years, talked about a study that was done and and of women that in all that, women will go through that create a depression in them. And in this study, they listed out sources of depression, sexual problems, fatigue, time pressure, aging, money, absence of romance, in-law problems, low self-worth. And as the list was made out, and from the ladies literally giving, this is what has sent me into depression. Asking them, what is it? The number one What is the number one? The number one thing was a low self-esteem. In fact, 80 put in the top five, 80% put it in the top five, 50 put it as as the number one, 50% put it number one. What was that saying to us? If we treat our wife as a clay pot, she will know she has a functioning tool of responsibilities to carry out in the home. But if we lift our wife up and put light on her and honor and respect her, This is biblical. This is right. This is good. You know, the lie uh, that's out there is that women's lib is the way to go. Women's lib, you know what it says? It says, treat me like a man. You know what? That's the last thing you want. You want to be treated like a woman. You want to be treated like a vase and not a tool. You want to be honored and respected and elevated and protected. That's what you want. Am I right, ladies? Huh? Okay, there's three of them out there that feel that way. Treat, treat everybody else how you want. No. Husbands, the Bible says in Hebrew, or excuse me, in Ephesians, it says, husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And guys, don't worry, you haven't loved your wife too much. You're not going to blow her head up. You're not going to overinflate her ego. 
you just love and serve her to the end where you are giving it all to her. And you watch what you get back. If you don't, if you treat her as a tool, you'll build a wall between you and your wife. And you'll not be able to live together. Live together in intimacy. Number three, guys, when I do this, when you do this, it creates a great disconnect. When I am not leading my family spiritually, this one verse gives us great insight into our spirituality and how our relationship with our spouse actually has a direct correlation to our spiritual lives. Think about this for a moment. There's no other verse that I know of in all of Scripture that draws a connection between my horizontal relationship with my wife affecting my vertical relationship with God. But verse 7 does. Look at verse 7, the last part. He says, Since they are heirs with you by the gra- uh, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hebrews says that, that literally that word hindered is to build up a barrier, a blockade. Think about it, war term. It's a military term of the idea that I am on that side of the room, you're on this side of the room, and we are not coming together. Now, how many of us live like that? Don't raise your hand. Because the reality is that some of us may be sitting side by side with somebody right now that there is so much animosity between us. But listen, that animosity doesn't just affect there. It affects the vertical relationship with God. That when I don't treat my wife, when I don't understand and appreciate her complexities, when I treat her as a clay pot rather than a vase, a valuable vase, then it literally hinders my relationship with God and therefore hinders my ability to lead my family spiritually. There was a, you know, growing up, not a real consistent father in, in, in your life, you, you kind of have to draw from good godly people, Sunday school teachers, uh, mentors, books, read lots of books to try to figure out what it means to be a, a husband, what it means to be a father. Especially when you go into to a marriage. You know, when you go into a marriage out of college, it's kind of like you just you kind of wake up one day, oh, I, I got responsibilities here. Up until that point, you ate ramen noodles, you wore dirty clothes, it really didn't matter. You know, but now I've, I've got to actually provide for somebody here. I've got a wife, all right? And then all of a sudden you kind of go a little further, and then you have the big wake-up call. And that's when you have your first baby. All right, now everybody remember, I don't know about you, but I remember when we had our first one. It was like, what in the world? This ought to be a crime against humanity to send us inexperienced, immature, 23-year-olds home with a baby. All right, a life, you know, sending us home with a life to raise. And we didn't know a clue. We didn't put the car seat in. But at that time, they, and I think now they, they show you how, but we didn't know how. And so we were, we were clueless. Go through life and you try to raise your children and you want to do what's right in raising your children. And, and how do you do that? It almost feels like you're walking through life blindfolded. There were four phrases that, that I picked up through reading and through studying. And then all of a sudden, it was really interesting because I found as, that when I went to Australia a couple of years ago with, with Caleb on a, on a fathering adventure trip that, that went on with a guy, a great godly man over there named Darren Lewis, and, and able to spend some time with him and some other Aussies, and we were able to do this rites of passage. And he was talking about the same thing that I had read over here and heard over here and heard over here about what it meant to be a man 
who led his family. In fact, it was interesting. I still carry today a keychain that Darren gave us at that Fathering Adventures trip. And around the edge, it has these four statements that it makes to the men. He tells men, he says, men, you need to reject passivity. Now think about that. Reject passivity. We are so aggressive, we're so assertive, we're so involved, we're so engaged in this world. But when we come home, there's this passivity that bubbles to the top. Accept responsibility. You are the man who needs to understand the wife. The wife is not told to understand you. We're pretty simple. We're told to understand them. We're told to be the leaders in the home. We are the ones who need to accept our role of a role model in the home, accept the responsibility and reject the passivity. And then he says, lead courageously. Lead courageously. Where are you going to lead your family? Are you going to take them on the same American dream pathway that everybody's going down and we wonder at the end of that pathway, what did we get? Or are we going to chart a new course? Are we going to have new values? Are we going to have a new standard in our home? And then expect God's reward. You know, Harvard did a study that reveals that couples who read the Bible regularly, pray together regularly, attend church regularly, divorce one in 1,287. That's less than one-tenth of one percent. What happens when the man understands and appreciates the complexities of the wife? What happens whenever he treats her as a trophy and not a clay pot? When he leads out spiritually, there can be a beautiful intimacy in the home. I'd like us to just bow our heads for a moment. I want you to think about men... I'm going to speak specifically to you right now. Where are you in your manhood? Where are you as a husband, as a father, as a leader? How do you set an example? Are you passive? Are you active? Are you accepting the responsibility of your role in the home? Where are you at? And the challenge for us today is I want to give to the men. As men, it's time for us to reject the passivity. It's time for us to accept our responsibility. It's time for us to lead courageously. It's time for us to expect God's reward. As we obey Him, as we understand our wives, as we treat them as a treasured vessel to be honored, then God will bless us in prayer. God will bless us spiritually. God will give us what we need in the hour that we need it because we're walking in obedience to Him, with Him. And if you're a man here today, and I know this is a little awkward, and I don't want to put you on the spot because this is not for everybody, but if, you're, if you say after listening to this message today, and just every head's bowed and every eye's closed, ladies, be praying for the men in this room right now. Be praying for your children for the young men that you're raising. Men, I'm talking to you. If you want to be a man, a real man who understands, 
who treasures and values, who leads the family spiritually. Would you stand with me? If you don't mean it, don't do it. But if you mean it, stand with me. Father, you see the men. You see the men who come today before you, before before God, before, before the, this congregation, and you see the men who I pray by their standing, they're taking the first step to being a man who understands his wife, who treasures his wife, who engages you in prayer, who who is ready to become a spiritual leader like none other. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for myself. Lord, I value Lori of 21 years of marriage and I pray that I don't assume or presume of her, but I cherish her and I honor her. Lord, I pray for these men. This is more than a message and it's more than than just standing to their feet. But they're standing because they're rejecting passivity. They're accepting their responsibility as a man. They're going to lead courageously. Maybe take a new path than the family past. They're going to chart a new, new lands. They're going to lead their family spiritually like they've never led them before. And they will anticipate and expect your reward. And Lord, I pray that you'll even now begin to bless these men. Give them the assurance that they need as they stand that you are with them and you are guiding them. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.